Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. From what I can gather from my statistics and other people's statistics, if you track off lead, about 40 to 45% of the deer that you make contact with that you drop your dog on are going to be alive. They're either going to run out of the country or the dog's going to bay them up and you go up and finish them off. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. If you want to watch exclusive full-length video episodes with each of our guests, receive a free Ozark-inspired sticker every single month, and get a shout-out on a future episode, then sign up for the White River Club on our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, and your support goes a long way. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Now, here's the episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic, as always, and I'm flying solo today without my co-host, Adam Treese. Um, he unfortunately wasn't able to make it, but you are in luck because I am joined by a special guest on this episode, and that is the founder of the Arkansas Blood Trailing Network, um, Mr. Brad Bazankin. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Man, I appreciate you having me here, bud. Absolutely. Um, so for anyone who, who doesn't know what the Arkansas Blood Trailing Network is, um, basically this page, it's, it's a page, um, it's got about 17 and a half thousand members. Um, if I'm, if I'm correct in saying that, Brad, and, um, I've been a part of the Facebook page for a couple of years now, just kind of passively following along. And, um, I, I love it because I've always been fascinated just by the cool stories that get posted on there. People post pictures, people post different um, just stories of of trails and tracks that they've been on what this deer did that was peculiar bizarre um, I've learned a lot just from from reading the posts honestly over the uh, the last couple of years um, you know through hunting season and stuff like that and as a as just kind of your your average hunter learn there's a lot to learn from these guys who um, like Brad who who know a lot about um, tracking wounded game tracking wounded deer um, and and what to look for and uh, what to pick up on as you're as you're walking through the woods and um, and so anyways, what this page is, and I'll let you tell a little bit more about it, Brad, but basically 17 and a half thousand members, I, a lot of those, the, you know, the large majority of those members are just your average hunters who um, they hunt here in Arkansas and they occasionally may have a deer that, you know, you, you, we've all done it where you, you, shoot, you shoot a deer, you think you got a good hit on it, but it gets away and you just can't find it. This group is the group to go to. You can locate a tracker they've got a dog or a couple dogs and um, they'll basically come to you and, and help you find this deer um, that you're looking for. And um, so it's a, it's an awesome resource. If you're not following the page, if you're not, if you haven't liked it and you haven't joined the group, definitely go, definitely go do that on Facebook after this episode. Um, but anyways, we've got the founder of the group here. So, so Brad, 
is that a pretty good representation of, of what the group is and, um, and just what you guys do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, we, I started this thing years ago. I mean, uh, I got to where my, I had a, I used to be a really good deer hunter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't invite me to your lease or I'll hurt your feelings. Okay. I mean, I, I can, I can kill some really good deer, but I suffered some injuries when I was younger and my right knee got to the point where I just couldn't hardly get in and out of the woods anymore. Like I wanted to, couldn't climb trees like I wanted to. So I thought, you know, there's got to be a way that I can stay uh, involved in deer hunting without, you know, this and then you come to find out exactly what I do is about as rough and rougher than what I was doing. But I got on some of these pages about, uh, I got to noticing that, and this, this is not a knock on the younger generation, but I got the notion that the wood skills of people were kind of on the, uh, the decline. Sure. Uh, and I also found out that there were a lot of people that had wounded game tracking dogs. Well, I was about ready to retire from the fire service. I spent 33 years as a firefighter with the Benton Fire Department. And I said, you know, I'm going to have something to do with myself. I'm going to drive my wife nuts. So <laughs> I thought, well, you know what? I'll get one of these tracking dogs and I'll train it and I'll, start tracking for people around here. So I got a Texas Lacey dog. Uh, I was really enamored by the breed, by their grit, by their drive, uh, things like that. So, so I said, you know what, let's just get this going and see what we can do. with it. And, uh, I got the, the inspiration from the Mississippi blood trailing network. There's several, if you go on the internet, look, you got Alabama blood trailing network, Mississippi blood trailing, Tennessee, Florida Blood Trailer Network. It's all branched off of this guy that started the Mississippi Blood Trailer Network. His name is Kyle. I don't recall his last name right at the moment, but uh, he didn't even have a tracking dog, but he saw the need for for people that could go out and, and assist people to do things and, and to help them out. So what he did, he got this together, and what he started doing was getting a list of trackers together with counties. You know, what county do you live in? What county will you cover? And you could call them, and they would come out and help you, assist you in trying to find your deer if you couldn't if you couldn't recover it. So I got that idea going, and when I first started, I couldn't. You know, I just had a few friends that would call me once in a while. Uh, we really didn't get a whole lot of tracks. I think when Katie was two and a half years old, we finally got like twenty five tracks, and, and that's the year I started the page. And then after that, it's been basically a hundred tracks a year since then. Okay. And when did you start the page? What what year would that have been? Oh man, what was that? Uh six probably six years ago. Okay. Uh you do the math. Come on, man. You're smarter yeah, than that. Yeah, no, I hear you. Twenty sixteen basically. Somewhere around there, yeah. And that's about when we started it. Okay. And we started with just a few guys. I didn't know anybody else in the state of Arkansas, honestly, that had a tracking dog. But I noticed that on the, the Mississippi page that I happened to be on that there were some people from Arkansas there. So I went to contact some people and we kind of got together and, and, and started uh, uh, this little network of, you know, we'll get people to call us and get our dogs out there. We can, you know, assist these people in finding these deer. And we went from finding like, you know, 50 to 100 year deer the first year to uh, this past year, which would have been our basically sixth year. Uh, we found 949 deer recovered last year between the guys that are on our page tracking. We have roughly uh, 70 or so trackers that are listed on our trackers list. And, uh, you know, they're there. They give the county that they live in. And then when you contact, they'll, they'll tell you what county they'll follow. 
I mean, I try to stay in central Arkansas, but I've driven as much as two and a half hours to track for somebody before because, I mean, I, I, I happen to be retired. Okay. And yeah. I do have the time and the opportunity to be able to go out and do things that uh, a guy with his family doesn't have the opportunity to do. So I've been known to drive a long ways to track deer for people. And uh, it's just, I, I would rather do it than deer hunt. I mean, there's nothing like seeing the look on some little kid's face, first deer they've ever shot, uh, they made a bad shot on it. And you go out and you you assist them in recovery, or maybe it's just maybe it's a seasoned hunter who just shot a. I, I tracked a deer down for a guy that was a 200 inch deer. Oh, uh, you know, Where and, was that? and he, it was up around. Uh, I think it's up around Desert. Okay. I'm not. I don't recall where is that. I frankly somewhere up there. Yeah, 200 inch deer is an awesome. Deer. But it, it was it was it well it was actually the number two deer in the Arkansas Big Buck Classic that year. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was it was legit two hundred plus inch net deer, and I I don't do the gross thing, I do the net deal. Okay. But even then, I think it's still netting like the one ninety, so it, it was a huge buck, and it was just one of them kind of deals that even though he was a season hunter, you know, we're talking about a buck of a lifetime. Here. Right. Yeah, for sure. And and they had already had a dog on it that that couldn't get the job done, and you know, a friend of mine called me that I had to. Actually, I sent him one of my pups that I had started training. He said, man, look, you know, my dog's not ready for this, but can you bring Katie up here and check this out? Well, you know, and, and just not to brag my dog up, but they had spent five hours looking the night before, and I dropped Katie on the track, and 35 minutes later, we're standing over this deer. No way. 35 so, yeah, minutes? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like, and, and it was, it was, oh, it was a, yeah, I don't remember. I think it was like a, it was well over 20. It was right at 24 hours, 22, 23 hour, you know, old track. He'd shot it the evening before and we didn't get there till after church on Sunday because I, I don't, I don't track on Sundays unless I can do it between morning and evening service. So, yeah, sure. you know, we went out there and we knocked it out, uh, but it was just, it was basically, but now was the guy's dog not good enough to do it? No, because the fellow later on had, had recovered several there, but it was just his inexperience, a young dog, and him uh, basically trying to make his dog do something the dog wouldn't want to do. And yeah. one thing about tracking is you got to trust what your dog does. Mm, okay. But then again, on the, on the flip side of that coin, you have to have your dog to a level where you can trust that dog. Mm, right. So that's where the training part comes in. You know, I, I hear people all the time, they'll chime in on the page. Oh, you got to trust your dog. I'm like, look, we're talking about a six month old dog here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to trust a six month old dog. Uh, unless I have personally trained it and am aware of what the dog's capabilities are. You have to, the dog has to be able to earn your trust. And then once your dog has become fairly seasoned, it's kind of like, look, my dog says it went this way. So I don't care what you say. My dog's going this way. And I've had people say before, well, my dog was going this way. I, I saw the deer go this way. I said, like, look, man, I get what you're saying. The dog went that way, but if she's coming back this way. The deer doubled back. Well, you know, I didn't see it come back across the land. Well, okay, I tell you what. I said, you go do whatever you got to do, and I'll send you the GPS coordinates where my dog recovers this deer. <laughs> yeah. And then you can go, and, you know, because once we find it, I'm leaving. Right, right. So, That's interesting. So I've, it, I've always heard of that, actually, where hunters, they, they say – you can, in that moment, it's such an intense moment. Your adrenaline might be pumping, especially if it's a big deer. You think that you saw one thing, and really the reality is maybe you saw a completely different thing. You made that up in your head, and the dog can point it out because they can smell it. 
Well, you know, and that's exactly right. And I'm I'm gonna blame something right now on the on the technology that you and I are using right now. Yeah. Somebody will make a shot on the deer and they'd immediately start high fiving and get on their phone and texting and then they miss that deer run right back across the lane. Mm. Because they're too busy texting their buddy big buck down or they're high fiving the buddy next to them and, and nobody sees that deer run back across the lane. And, and a lot of times that's the difference between you going out there and not being able to recover your deer and my dog finding it because you were just too busy messing around and you didn't pay attention. Right, right. You know, back in my day, but we didn't have that. So once we took a shot, we just kind of sat there and watched for <laughs> five minutes or more. You know, hey, you know, let's, you know, we got to pay attention to what's going on. Nowadays, you shoot 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, I got a text. I shot that big one. I know I got him, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. And he runs back across the lane. You're like, oh. And you never saw him. You know? So there you are. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so how does it, how does the process work? Let's talk, talk me through. You know, so you get to that moment, you shoot, you shoot a buck and, and you know, you're right. Unfortunately, a lot of the times, especially if you've got cell service, you're immediately to the phone and you're telling all your buddies, Hey man, I got the one, I got the deer. Um, but from the moment you, as a hunter and you shoot the deer and you get down, how does the process normally work? You know, I, I assume at some point a hunter gets down, you know, he, he looks immediately for the obvious signs after a while he realizes he can't find it. And then he goes to the group and people call you. Um, and, and you locate a tracker nearby or how, how does it work from there? Well, it, it's what I tell people is this, uh, number one, throw the old 30 minutes to 45 minutes stuff out the window. Okay. Give yourself two hours. You got nothing else to do. Yeah. Okay. If it's in the morning, you might as well sit there. And if you got to take your shirt off and get a tan, <laughs> do something, Yeah. you know, for a couple of hours, you cannot believe how many times I have tracked a deer that only went 40 or 50 yards and I could, that's the first place they stopped and they were standing there bleeding. But you walked up on the side, you know, I'm just going to check and see if I hit it. Well, he's standing 30 yards away from me. Well, you're so intent on looking for blood sign on the ground. That you don't notice this deer 30 yards away. Mm, yeah. And he just walks off. Now he's gone. Now he's going no telling how long. Whereas if you just stayed in your stand for a couple of hours, it might've been laying right there dead. Yeah. So number one, give yourself a couple of hours. I tell people this all the time. Even if you think you made a really good shot, ease out of your stand, go back the other direction, go back to camp, have a Coke and a smile and a sandwich, and then go back and look. The sign's still going to be there. It's not going to go away in three or four hours. Right. But you, it's a difference between you finding a deer dead 80 yards away and you walking up there scaring it and then me having to track it for a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people don't believe it, but that's the difference. But number one, that this, that. Uh, but what I tell people to do is, is if you can track your deer track, if you're still finding blood sign, if you're still finding sign, that's all I'm going to do is track it. But now if, if you get out there and you find yourself wandering around like you just dropped a pocket full of change on a Walmart parking lot, uh, it's time to call somebody. Right, right. You know, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you're like, man, I have no idea where this. Don't start grid searching. Don't start making circles. Don't start anything. If you can get a hold of a tracker in your area, give them a call. Okay. Uh, the the Facebook page we have trackers listed by county. Whatever county you're in, you can go to that county, and I'll have people that snap. There's nobody listed in your county. 
go to the counties directly surrounding you. Right. Because most of the time our guys will travel some. Now, if you're going to contact somebody, give them a call, send them a text message, send them a message on Facebook Messenger possibly, and post on the page. Okay. Now, this sounds like a pain in the butt, but listen, I have been out in the boonies before where I had zero cell signal for hours. And then I would drive out of the woods, and also my phone would start melting down with the dinger going off with with text messages and, and Facebook messages. And, you know, it, it's just melting down. Okay, so I'll pull over on the side of the road, and I start going through this, and I start checking on people. But a lot of people, a lot of times, they say, well, I called so-and-so, and he couldn't get a hold of Oh, I never did get a hold of him. Well, did you send him a message? Because if you just call me and, and I didn't get it, I, I may not check my missed calls. Right. But if them if those if those text messages are dinging, I'm gonna pull over and I'm gonna try to get things in order where I can plan the rest of my day. Because listen, if you've got a good dog, yeah, I'm not waiting on you. You're waiting on me. Right, sure. Because I may have five calls lined up. Now, the the thing about that is, I'll, I'll tell a guy you're number five on the list. I may not be there till. Uh, Say you shot the deer at nine o'clock this morning. I mean, I'm telling you guys, look, I may not be there till seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. Go back to camp and leave it alone because I wouldn't tell you that I could come out there twelve hours later and find that deer if I wouldn't confident that I could. Right, yeah. But if you go out there jacking around with it, number one, you're walking around, say you step in a, a spot of blood or sand or something, you track it off a different direction, you just left the false trail for the dog to have to work out. Mm. Okay. Or the deer's not quite dead yet. He hears you coming. Now, instead of going 100 yards and laying down and dying, now he gets up and goes another 1,000, 1,500 a mile before he finally dies. Now, the biggest problem with that is he goes off on somebody else's property that you don't have permission to be on. I can't do nothing about that. Yeah, nothing. Trespassing is illegal. You know, Arkansas is not a right to recover state. And, you know, I hear people say all the time, uh, well, you can call the game warden, though. The game warden can't take you in there. If a law enforcement officer does not have suspected foul play or evidence of a crime committed on property, they can't just walk on your place and jack around. Gotcha. So you have they, to they have a written it. permission to go on private land, even if well, you've got Well, written, a down written or, or just, you know, it says written permission. But, you know, a lot of people have good relationships with their neighbors, and they're like, hey, listen. I just called this person, you know, okay. and, and if, if it seems like it's kind of shady, a lot of times I said, well, show me where you called them. Yeah. Let me talk to them. Uh, but make sure you have permission to be over there because, you know, it doesn't matter if the deer's laying dead on the other side of the fence and you can see it. You cannot go get it if that person says you cannot. Yeah. A law enforcement officer can't go over there and get that deer if that person says you cannot because there is no commission of a crime. And that's what people don't get. That is not your deer. Yeah, right. you shot it, but it's not yours till you put it in a truck. That's why I encourage people all the time, develop a relationship with your neighbors, you know, other than just asking them when you want something, send them a Christmas card, fix fence, go buy and mow their grass, do something. Right, yeah. And develop a relationship. I can't tell you how many times I've had to stop because, man, well, that guy don't like me and I can't go over there. I'm not. We're done. Well, it's two o'clock in the morning. We, we'll slip over. And I said, no, we ain't slipping nowhere. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I'm not trying to get you shot know, out here, especially know, it, if he doesn't like a, you. 
Yeah, I mean, this is on you, buddy. I mean, it, this is not my problem. I did what I could. There it is. You know, that's another reason I don't track a lot in urban areas is because I just can't. I track off lead, and by the time I cut my dog loose, she may be 600 yards out across five different properties. And I'm like, yeah, I just got to call her back. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, there's that. Okay, gotcha. So, um, so in terms of one more thing I wanted to ask about, um, just it's something I've been curious of over the years is how does, you know, when someone comes, say I called someone and I, I lost a deer, I need some help. So I call someone who, whoever's listed in my county. Um, how, how does the payment work? I assume, you know, you at least cover their gas. Is it just depending on the tracker? Or that's always something I've been curious about and just wanted to ask you, how does it usually go? Well, a lot of that, a lot of that has to do, I mean, there's a lot, there's some pages out there uh, in different states. They're like, you know, uh, we, we don't charge. Okay. Okay. Well, that's cool to say if you're doing it 10 times a year. Yeah. All right. If you're doing it 120 times a year, somebody better be coughing up some jack. Yeah. Or I can't afford to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I pretty much just take donations. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's some people that charge. And it doesn't matter to me whether you, on our page, if, if the thing about it is you make sure with whoever you call that you are on the same page is whether they're charging and how much they're charging and what their rate is so that you don't get out there and go to whining about being screwed because somebody charged you 200 bucks when they told you that over the phone. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, personally, I, I just take donations. I mean, I, I could get probably double what I get if I charge just because of how good my dog is. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm just for, I mean, to be honest with you. I'm just God. I'm just God. Just blessed me with a really good dog, and uh, that's just how it is. Yeah, uh, you could take a dog like mine and go down to Texas and get on a big ranch down there somewhere, probably make fifty, sixty thousand a year with. It. Oh man, I don't that's even crazy. come close. To, I don't even come close to that around here because look, man, when in Arkansas is a blue collar state. Uh, I don't want to go out and tell some guy that just shot the buck of a lifetime and he works in a sawmill somewhere for bare minimum wage, then I'm going to charge him 200 bucks to find his deer. Yeah, sure. You know, if he don't have any money in his pocket, I'm like, that's okay, dude. You know, don't worry about it. Yeah. I track for enough doctors and stuff like that. They take care of me pretty good, you know? So for the guy that don't have nothing, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and I'm going to be quite honest with you and I'm, I'm going to say this and I don't care if it rubs people the wrong way or not. I've been on track for the guy that I could tell barely had two nickels to rub together, and he's trying to give me the last five dollars in his pocket. And then I've been to guys that were driving a uh, a truck so expensive it had leather on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't offer me a dime. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but you see where I'm coming from. Here. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, I mean, I had a guy one time. He, you know, and it's it's it's, it's listen. It doesn't matter. I, I'll do it tomorrow. But I got 50 bucks for driving two and a half hours one way and spending two hours tracking a deer. Now, that's eight-hour a day, buddy. Yeah, that's a full And I got 50 bucks for it. So, you see where I'm coming from? Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think it's it's good as a general rule as if you're if you're a hunter and you're you're calling somebody, consider the time spent, consider how far someone had to drive, consider, you know, the gas mileage and all that. Just be reasonable if if you've got the the funds to do it you know be a, be a decent person you know help out when you can this person's you know trackers helping you out helping you right. find a deer of, maybe of a lifetime 
you know, throw throw them a throw them a dollar here and there and and make it make it worth it. And you know, and even at that, I'm gonna tell you this, and this is it's kind of just it disappoints me in a way that I rarely get called to track a doe. Dude, my dogs do not care. I'll track a doe as quick as I will, a 200 inch buck. It don't matter to me. It don't matter to the dogs. And you ain't gonna give me a hundred dollar bill to track a doe. Yeah, it's, it's fellowship. It's me. I get to go to a different part of the country. Now, this is just my my attitude, and that's why I don't charge. Just like, you ain't got no money. That's fine. We had a good time. I got to see a different part of the country. I got to meet people. I got to fellowship with you. I got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. You know, We got to have a good time, and, and you know what? You either found your deer or you were pretty well assured that this was a non-recoverable deer. Yeah, you know? yeah it got away. So, so it's just one kind of deals is it, just cause you make them bleed. Don't mean they die. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I said, you know, you ever cut yourself shaving? Yeah. I said, did you bleed? Well, yeah. I said, well, did you die? Well, no. So sometimes just because there's a little bit of blood on the ground, don't mean that deer is going to die. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That's cool. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you, um, so that that's a good, you know, I think that's enough to talk about the the trailing network. I think everyone's got a pretty good idea of how it works. I wanted to talk to you specifically just about kind of your story and um, your experience as a tracker. And I want to start with your your dog Katie and and the dogs that you have worked with. You said Katie's a Texas Lacey, um, and she's about eight years old. Is that right? Yep, yep. She just turned eight. Okay, and so she's been tracking for the last six or so years. You said you started about two, two and a half. Right, right. We well, the first year I tracked her, I think we ran uh, five tracks and found three. That's when she was like a year and a half old. Okay. Uh, when she was two and a half years old, I think we had twenty five tracks and found fifteen of them. Okay. Uh, and then after that, it just it just has kind of snowballed to where we average recovering about forty nine, forty eight or forty nine a year. Okay. Uh, we average about a hundred ish tracks. Uh, She's got 238 recoveries. Now, there's been a few that she recovered that I, I just I didn't count because it was just it was just too easy. Uh, sometimes people call me, they panic, and I get out there and I kick her out of the truck, and you know, 75 yards later, she's chewing on it. I'm like, dude, did you even look for this thing? <laughs> yeah, too easy. But but you know, but but some people they know that you're there, and they're like, hey, let's just call him. So I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, it's okay, but I'm not gonna. That's not on my list. That don't. Sorry, buddy, but that's not one of the that's not one of the ones that we put on the tailgate. That was just that was just something that but you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's probably been over the years probably forty or fifty people that I have coached over the phone about tracking wounded game that they found their own deer when I was on the phone talking to. Them. Oh, really? Okay. That's cool. Yeah, because I'm like, look, dude, here's here's what I'm hearing. Uh I don't think you really need a dog. Here's what I want you to do. Yeah. Call me back. Yeah. You know. Well, we went out there and we did find so okay, well then then do this, call me. And next thing you know, they found the deer. I'm like, sweet deal, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, because you know, wounded deer do things. And and it's not uh it's not they just do things different than they do if they're not wounded. And that's why a lot of times if I'm tracking a deer and maybe we've gone a mile or so after and I start seeing how this I start seeing how the track is being laid out. And I'm like, okay, this track is starting to meander. We're starting to, instead of being a straight line, all of a sudden we're kind of wandering over here and we're wandering over there. And we're, 
that's a deer that has become, it started to feed again. It started to go about its daily routine again. Mm, so it's not and, necessarily dying maybe. And, and, and it's not, it's not hurt bad enough to say die right now. Now I, I never guarantee that it ain't going to die a week later or two weeks later, a month later. Right. But right now at this point in time, this thing is starting to feel good enough that it's just going about its business. And that's usually when Katie starts losing the, the, I call it the loving feeling. She's losing that, that the scent of that deer being mortally wounded is, is not there. Now it may get sick and die later on, but it's not right now. Yeah. And you know, I, I can't track one for a week. So, you know, but the, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Talk to me about the, um, the the scent and you know it's obviously you call it blood trailing but my understanding is you're not always tracking blood it's a lot of the times you know the deer have this interdigital gland in, in their hooves and you you always hear about it but what are you tracking what are you looking for because it's it's not just your dog smelling either right like you're working with the dog you're looking for sign right. the dog's doing a lot of work but you are too what what are you doing there well there's there's a lot of things that make up the scent of a wounded deer uh, okay a wounded deer puts off more skin cells. It starts shedding skin cells when it's mortally wounded, when it feels bad. Uh, the interdigital hoof glands start smelling different. Uh, there's a little bit of blood sign. I, I've tracked deer for, for, you know, six, 800 yards before we really found the first drop of blood. And, and, and people say, well, maybe you're missing it. Well, maybe I'm missing some, but the GPS systems and everything nowadays are so accurate that a lot of times I'm walking, Katie may be 600 yards ahead of me. My GPS is showing a pink line where she goes. Mm-hmm. I'll walk along that line and I'll find drops of blood. So Katie pretty much is what I call a line tracker. Okay. She tracks right on the line. I mean, she's usually dead on it. So if you're going to find any kind of blood sign, you're going to find it right there. The interdigital sign, and this is one of the best, I, I give this scenario to a lot of people a lot of times. Let's say you're woodworking and you're on a table saw and you're pushing a board and boy, all of a sudden you run your thumb up in that saw. Now, you smell like Keith. Now, all of a sudden, oh, man, you jump back, you grab your thumb, you're sweating, your your blood's pumping, you just got a huge jacked-up amount of adrenaline in you. Right. You think you're fixing to have to go to the hospital and get your thumb operated on. Oh, my gosh. Now, see, you smell like a different Keith now mm, okay. because of all these things going on in your body. Now, let's say you stop and you look at your thumb. You're like, oh. Oh, well, hey, I, I just kind of nicked that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you, you put a little duct tape on it, and you go back about your business. Now, two minutes later, you smell like Keith again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why a dog will track a lot of times, and then they'll stop the track because now all of a sudden the deer's like, oh, well, I'm not hurt that bad. So, yeah, let me just go on about my business, and they calm down, and, and they're okay. Even if they're dropping some blood sign, this, that, and other, it's not a fatal wound. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem that you get into a lot of times is that you get that happening during the rut when bucks are jacked up, and they may actually be hurt pretty bad. But a lot of times, a buck deer will just shake that off. Man, I've seen them shake off some serious crap, and people find them dead two or three days later, and they're like, what are your dog find them? I'm like, well, because obviously at the time, he didn't feel like dying. <laughs> yeah. So they're, what can I tell you? You know what I mean? I mean, I've seen them shake off some pretty serious injuries. And be found two or three days later. And I'm like, well, man, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, all I can tell you is if Katie could have found it, she would have. Right. But I can't, like, once again, if the, if the deer's going to go, 
for 72 hours jacking around before he falls over dead, you really are not going to be able to follow that kind of track. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the, the slough off those skin cells and there's, there's just a lot more to it than just the blood sign. That's why you can track a deer for a mile and there'd be absolutely zero blood to be found. Now, once again, how many times have you shot a deer that you can go up to and rub your hand around a wound that there wasn't blood in the hair? So even though blood may not be falling on the ground, there may be blood being wiped off on branches mm-hmm. in leaves. Because I've watched Katie before track 200 yards with her head up, just sniffing the underside of the leaves with the deer brushed against it. Okay. Because it was a low humidity day. The scent was gone on the ground, but she could still catch the scent on the bottom side of the leaves where the sun hadn't burned it up. Mm, okay. So she, so she tracks that. I There's so many ways for your dog to track, and there's there's just a lot more to it than just the blood trail. That's why we encourage people, hey, look, well, I didn't find any blood at the shot site. Call me anyway. Yeah. Because a lot of times, I, I mean, I, I've been on double long 30 alt 6 there that didn't leave any sign at the shot site. Until you found the deer dead 150 yards later. Wow. That's Why did it not bleed? I have no idea. Yeah. But I have tracked a lot of deer anywhere from 150 to 300 yards that left very minimal blood sign. But when they fell over on the ground, they just, it was just, they look like a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you walk up and look at the entry and exit room, you couldn't have drawn it any better. Yeah. Why did they not bleed? I, don't, I couldn't tell you. All yeah. I know they didn't. Interesting. You talked a little bit there about um, conditions, and you mentioned humidity. You mentioned the sun. Um, what are what are ideal conditions? And and in ideal conditions, how long does scent from a deer last on the ground to where Katie, your dog, or or another dog could can pick up on it? Well, I mean, I use a cur dog. Cur dog, you know, Katie's a cur breed dog. Okay. Uh, they're they're typically not as cold nodes as say a hound or something like that. Okay. However, like I've said before. Scent is not an infinite thing. It does not last forever. So uh, the things that I have noticed is that when the humidity levels start getting below 25%, your dogs start struggling to find scent. Okay. Because scent is carried on moisture molecules. Okay. If the humidity level is down that low, there's not any moisture in the air. There's no scent for the dog to pick up. That's a tip for you deer hunters out here. For you guys that think that, that it's the best to go out and do your scouting and crap after rain, uh, no, dude. <laughs> that's funny. That's the best time to track when it's wet. Uh, I can take one of those 20% humidity tracks, all right, and let a thunderstorm roll through and fall on it, and then Cuddy will track that thing like it's a brand-new scent. Really? Because the water rejuvenates the scent. Mm, okay. Think about putting a drop of red food coloring in, in a gallon of water, and then just watch it disperse. Right. And it goes everywhere. So, so that's kind of how humidity is. The higher humidity levels, the better your dog's going to be able to track. Now, I've had days where where the humidity levels and the heat and everything have been so bad that if you didn't call me within four hours, I wouldn't come. And then I've had Katie track a deer that was shot on Wednesday at noon, and she found it it's Saturday at noon. Wow. Hey, wasn't the deer that was shot. It was actually, I dropped her out on a deer, 
And she ran over and boom, she was on a deer. I'm like, well, there he is right there. Well, we get over to the deer, it's not the deer the guy shot. He's right. like, that's not, that's not the deer my wife shot. And I'm like, well, crap. I said, well, let's go over and get her back on the track. So Katie gets back on the track. She goes out there, rolls out on the deer he shot, jumps it, runs it for two miles. And, and it was a non-fatal wound. So I called her off of it. And But what it was, he found out from the guys that were working on his house that somebody had shot Wednesday at noon. But the deer had run right through the area where his corn pile was. Mm, right. And and Thursday, Friday, Saturday noon, she still picked up the track and went. But it was one of those stretches of days where it was rainy and cloudy and the sun didn't come out. So the scent didn't get burned up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've watched Katie track before in shaded areas, like a shaded creek bottom. And it'd be 80 degrees. And all of a sudden she pops out in a short cut over or, or a cow pasture and sent, it's just, it's like she hits a wall. Really? The, the sun and the wind will burn a track up in a heartbeat. Yeah. So if you've got a deer that you know is going across a large open field or a short cut over where there's no shade or anything, you probably need to call somebody pretty quick because that is a scent that's going to get burned up pretty quick. Uh, even in cold weather, I mean, a lot of people think, well, it's cold weather. I said, well, yeah, but you, you don't realize some of your worst lowest humidity days are cold days you know it's it's that cold dry weather when the humidity levels go down the best you know i've I've had people call me before that that shot a deer at six o'clock in the afternoon when you can come track i'm like i'll tell you what let's wait about four o'clock in the morning why you want it well because the dew fell Mm. and when the dew gets on it it rejuvenates whatever scent has been dried up has been rejuvenated by it i've tracked deer after inch and a half of rain you know a lot of people don't want to call after a rainstorm well you know rain washed away no it didn't wash it away that's what i was going to say a lot of times people you know hunters you you kind of panic if you know you shoot a deer it's it's saturday night and it's getting late and then you know rain's moving in that night you kind of start to think man i'm not gonna be able to find this deer at least i'm not gonna be able to see it you know the blood the blood might get washed away but that's actually not a bad thing for um, for someone who, you know, may be looking to call it a tracker, that, that actually may benefit them to have that extra it, moisture. You're right. It, it does. But, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is that uh, rain will wash away what you can track because you're a sight tracker. Right. The dog, the dog will tear it up. Yeah. I, I love rainy days because I get a lot of easy tracks. <laughs> yeah. That's when, that's when you get them deer that didn't go at 200 yards. But, you know, you can't track it because it washed away. Well, my dog will roll it up like it's nothing. Yeah. I mean, those are those are fifteen minute tracks. Yeah. You know, that's it's almost you almost hate taking money from somebody because you kick your dog and they roll it up there and you're like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's well, awesome. Sorry, though. That's I mean, that's how you want it as as a hunter. I mean, that's ultimately that's what you're paying for. You know, you spent maybe you spent three hours looking for this deer, can't find it, but you know, you show up with with Katie or your dog and you're done in 15 minutes. That's exactly what you're, you're looking for. That's what you want as a hunter to, to have someone kind of help you do that. Oh, you know, and that's what we like, but you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, well, you guys are charge, uh, $50 to show up and $75 if you recover it. Well, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I work, Katie works harder and longer on non-recovers than she does on recoveries. Mm. Because on a non-recovery, I will I will do everything I can to try to find it. If she loses a track, we'll circle downwind. We'll make loops. We you know we go all over the place trying to recover this deer. And 
And uh, so, yeah, a lot of times uh, a half a mile recovery is easier than, than a non-recovery that we can't ever advance more than a couple hundred yards because we'll spend a lot of time just making, you know, semi-circle loops around to see if we can cut the sign. I mean, did he get away from us? Did he circle back? Did he backtrack? What did he do? And see, that's where it comes in as a handler, you know, able to, to teach your dog to uh, check the backtrack. You know, right. I mean, Katie can work some out by herself, but she learned that by when we'd come to the spot where she would couldn't find it, that's when we'd go 100 yards back down the trail and start making a circle. And then all of a sudden she'll cut the track, boom, and we're off again. Okay. You know, but if we do, and usually I'll, what I'll do is I'll, if we come to the end of a track, I'll back down the track and I'll make a, a like a loop around. Okay. And then I'll move out 50 yards and make another loop around. And then I'll move back another 50. And, back, and if we ain't got it by then, then the deer's just gone. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not like deer are going to backtrack, you know, half a mile and then kick off the track. I mean, it's not, you know, and that's when the kind of deers they rarely backtrack. I mean, people try to, people fool themselves more than anything. Well, the deer turned right here, the deer turned left. 90% of my tracks stay on a straight line. Really? Yeah, exactly. It may veer a little bit to the right. It may veer a little bit to the left. Yeah. And that's one thing I can give you guys advice as far as your tracking. Don't start grid searching. Okay. If your deer is going on a northwest angle, stay on that northwest, but get you about three guys to the right, about got three guys to your left, space them about five yards apart, and stay on that northwest trajectory. Okay, gotcha. Okay, because if you make circles, there's ever bit the possibility that you may walk right past a puddle of blood five yards away and not see it. Mm-hmm. But if you've got guys spaced out like that, if, if that deer turned or went anywhere, you're, you, if it's leaving anything, you're going to probably see it. But, you know, I, I even know guys that train their dogs. Now, they don't do no 90 degrees. They don't. They, it's, just a, it's just kind of a straight line. Can you follow a half a mile straight line, 12-hour track? Because very rarely does a really hard hit failure when a deer ever turn one direction or the other. Okay. If, if they circle, it's usually either right there where you shot it in a tight circle to head back somewhere or there'll be a, we'll be a mile into the track and they'll start circling back to where they came from. Mm, okay. And a majority of the time, not all the time, but a majority of the time when they start circling back to where they came from, they're not hurt as bad as they were. For some reason, the weirdest thing is seems like deer want to go someplace else besides your home range to die. Really? It's like they want to go as far as they can away from it. Yeah. And, and then like die somewhere else. Yeah. That is weird. It's a weird deal. And that's, you're talking about too. You mentioned that earlier. You get to a point where, you know, you can, you can tell as you're looking at your GPS, you can see the line that's getting carved on your GPS that you're starting to meander. It's Well, I'll give you an example. Last year I went and tracked a deer in the Cache River bottoms for the guy. Uh, and this is kind of strange because, uh, it was a gut shot. It was good. There was gut on the arrow. Okay. And this, this is one of them kind of deals where, you know, I, I've argued with a guy who swears he knows everything. 100% of gut shot deer died. Well, no, they don't because I shot a deer in 1982 that was shot again the next year. And I shot him in the guts a year before. Really? Okay. He went from a spike to an eight point and he had two holes still in him a year later. They were barely weeping, but he was doing fine. Wow. Okay. So, 
odds are a gut shot deer is going to die. This is just a little FYI, yeah. but they don't always die. So anyway, this, this, there was some like green slimy gut stuff on the area. So I'm like, okay, we'll probably find this thing. So we start tracking this deer and he comes to a field and he turns down the right edge of it, which is wounded deer just don't do this. Okay. He goes down to an old slough. He parallels his slough for once until he comes to a road. Then he turns and he goes up this road. And he, this is like three, four hundred yards. And he turns back, comes into a pine thicket where there's a bunch of mushrooms sprouting. Yeah. Well, I can tell the deer's been feeding on these mushrooms. I'm like, well, hell, this thing's eating. Yeah. You know? So we go down through there another hundred. All of a sudden, he starts working scrapes. Really? And I'm like, man, I. I don't know what to tell you. I said, this thing is, there's gut on the arrow, gut smell, but this deer is just going about his business. Yeah. Interesting. And this is what I was telling you earlier when you and I were talking about a deer taking a lick and just shaking it off and going about their business. I mean, this is a big buck. Yeah. This is a, this is a 140 plus inch deer from what they described. And so, but even though he's got gut on the arrow, he's going about his business. Now, when it comes to gut shots, it could have been a nick in the gut. I'm, I'm sure you've gutted your share of deer. Yeah, sure. You see that yellow veiny stuff? Yeah. That's always on the outside of the intestines? Yeah. That's that's mesentery. You know what that's supposed to do? No. Deer are browsers, which means they eat sticks, which means they're always punching holes in their gut from the inside out. That mesentery is designed to slide over those holes till they heal up. Really? So if you just, yeah. So if you like nick a deer's gut, that mesentery will slide over the hole. The deer will heal up and he'll be fine. Yeah. Wow. That's now, cool. trust me. I mean, if you sure enough blow one out and shoot him through the guts and whatever, he's probably going to die, but I'm going to be honest with you. And this is another little story I'm going to tell you. I've been on three different deer that there was a, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, you could feel that hat you got on your head up with the gut material that came out of this, where they shot it. Wow. And I got on it 20, one of them was 20 hours old, one of them was 22 hours old, and one of them was 36 hours. And my dogs tracked them and jumped them and ran them out of the country. Golly. So even after that amount of time, you know, you'll hear the experts tell you, well, eight hours, the deer goes septic and dies. And I'm like, that's bull crap, dude. I have tracked them things 24 hours later, and they get up and just run out of the country like there ain't nothing wrong with them. So, uh, you know, I can't tell you. Yeah. Don't know what. I mean, the deer, did it die? Yeah, probably. Did it die on the property I had permission on? No. No, yeah. Was I going to be able to track it for the next week? I didn't know. I yeah. mean, look, it's just, it, listen, the difference between a 100-yard track and a thousand yard track is a quarter of an inch or less. It's the difference between your broadhead going in straight up and down or turning horizontal and going 90 degrees mm -hmm. from that. That's the difference in a killing shot that cuts an artery and when it slides by one. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really it's, 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 uh, it's a weird deal, dude. It's, Deer, it's weird they deal. are, um, they always surprise me with how resilient they can be taking, taking hits that, you know, they seem to live. It actually, it reminds me of, I think it was this last season I saw, um, and I don't know if you saw this or, or would remember this, but on the, the blood trailing network page, I saw a, a story of a guy. He, um, essentially there was a deer. I don't remember the specifics, but there was a deer on his property. Someone had shot it with a, with a bow and arrow, 
a um, couple of weeks prior, five or six weeks prior, and they couldn't find it. But, you know, they swore by it. It was a great shot. It might have been him or his nephew or something like that. Six, seven weeks later, they see this deer. It's got a scar right in the kind of the breadbasket area where you'd think you'd want to hit a deer. And um, he shot that deer, killed it. They opened it up, and there was a fletching from... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. Yeah, guy, he pulled two fletching out. It was a green fletching and a white fletching. Out of the and heart. he peeled off that thing, and it went through like it looked like the lower, one of the lower ventricles. Yeah. But the fletching had peeled off and plugged the hole up, but the blood could still go around the vein. Yeah. I would... Yeah, I mean, that was a heart-shot deer. I it's crazy. And it didn't die. That's, Seven weeks it lived, and that guy shot it again, or him or his nephew, and I was just like, there's no way on earth. That's a hard shot. You you know, every time you, you want to make that shot, and that deer walked off, and it, and it lived. That's why that's why on our page we do not tolerate people, number one, making fun of the size of anybody's deer. That ain't none of your business. Uh, the shot, you weren't there. You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't I don't put up with that. You know, and my administrators don't. I mean, you, the best way you get whacked off our page is start running your mouth about how you need to practice yeah. or that was a bad shot. Because, you look, I've tracked for active marine snipers. I promise you, you ain't no better shot than they are. <laughs> right. But, you know, between the time that you say pull the trigger and the time your finger pulls the trigger and the time that bullet gets here, all that deer's got to do is twitch three inches. And you went from a dead right there to a we're fixing that track in two miles. Yeah, right. And that's just how it is. That's just and that's why I say, look, man, they ain't got nothing to do with it. Yeah. Now, do I track bad shots? Yes, I do. Uh, do I track you know good shots that just turn bad for whatever reason? Yes, I do. Listen, it doesn't matter to me. I'm coming. You call me. I'm gonna do my best to get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's very few tracks I'll turn down. Uh, one of them is if the deer lays there for five or ten minutes and gets something runs off, I'm, I'm not coming. Okay. Uh, that's usually a above the spine, high back strap shot. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like me coming up and karate chopping you on the side of the neck. I mean, you'll fold up for a few minutes, but you're going to get up and be about your business. Right. Or so I, sh- I shoot you through this, this what is this, the, the trapezius yeah, muscle traps. right there? Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to deck you because it's that close to your spine. You're fixing to hit the ground. And slobber on yourself, probably pee in your pants. <laughs> yeah. But five minutes later, you're going to get up and be like, dang. <laughs> and that's what the deer does. You know, that's when you get the high fivers, or I go back to get my four winner and I come back and the deer's gone. Yeah, right. Because they'll drop right there. Or, well, he crawled off in them bushes, dragging his back legs, and we can't find him. I'm like, well, if he was dragging his back legs and couldn't get him back under him, you'd have found him. But he got his back legs back under him and he left out. Yeah, right. I've had them hit the ground so hard they actually snapped an antler off. Dang, yeah. But but still, you know, had a picture of them on a corn feeder two days later. Yeah. So, yeah. That's that, That's one of the – because I, I've tracked probably a hundred of those, and the only ones I've recovered are ones that decided to turn and fight the dog instead of, of running. Mm, yeah. And they turned and they were fighting my dogs, and I went ahead and shot them. I didn't really know how bad they were wounded. To be quite honest with you, had I really known that they were shot high in the back trap, I probably would have just spooked them off and let them run. Yeah. Because that is one of the most survi- – that's like a 99% survivable wound. Yeah. All all you did was shot some muscle out of their back and they're gone. Right, and they're just bleeding. And they'll heal up just fine. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about um, when – actually off air when we were talking a couple of days ago, kind of getting ready for the episode, 
Um, you talked about, uh, I think it was this last year, you took 92 calls and you mentioned um, it was like 44 of the 92 calls that you had. The deer was still alive on first contact with the dogs. Right, right. It, it yeah, was, exactly. Yeah, you were talking about, and you talk about you keep statistics and stuff like that. Um, how often do you find that, that, that the deer is still alive and, and maybe it just hasn't been enough time uh, to where you get there? Well, honestly, over the years, and, and I talked to a lot of guys on a lot of pages and a lot of my tracking buddies, Donnie Deaton, uh, a lot of people on here will know him. He's got, he's got, he tracks with Pearl and uh, Breeze. Breeze is one of my Katie dogs pups. Okay. Uh, I actually uh, started Pearl and, and trained her uh, to start a dog, but I couldn't keep her because her and Katie hate each other and they fight all the time. Yeah, okay. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't run them together. I mean, this this is the one of the weird dog hatred things. Yeah. To where they just they can't get over. It. I mean, the dogs ain't seen each other in five years. If they get together, it's a fight. Yeah, they're just two so alphas, I, maybe. They just yeah, don't get along. I, I don't know what it was, but anyway, I sent her to 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 Donnie, and he made a dog out of her. But uh, kind of about from what I can gather from my statistics and other people's statistics about if you track off lead about 40 to 45% of the deer that you make contact with that you drop your dog on are going to be alive. That's so high. They're either going to run out of the country or the dog's going to bay them up and you go up and finish them off. Yeah. And, and that's just, and that, that's, that's an advantage that an off lead dog has over an on lead dog. Okay. An on lead dog. Most of the time, if you're tracking, they're going to hear you coming and get them leave. And and you keep bumping, you keep bumping, you keep bumping. Right. Uh, Mostly the, the, the kind of the school of thought on only guys are if you bump the deer back out, give another four or five hours and try to get gotcha. Now, if you know what you're looking at as a tracker, you'll know, Hey, uh, this is not gut blood I'm seeing. So we're wasting our time tracking this deer. Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's blood that looks like it's coming out of a muscle group or something like that, where maybe you shot it through the butt or you, high back shot it or maybe you shot it through the front of the brisket and it's just kind of a uh, flesh wound, you know, you may want to call your dog on because But generally, if, you, if you're bumping them on lead, the rule, the, that's kind of the rule of thumb is, you know, give it uh, uh, several hours and then come back and try it again. Maybe it'll bed down and die. Whereas my dogs will run it down and bay it up or catch it. Yeah. Now, I have a dog that I run with Katie a lot. He's called the dude. The dude is a Parker cur. And he's one of these dogs that a lot of people think is that he's a top-notch dog, but he's, he's not in my book. He's not Katie level. Okay. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's hard for me to explain to people that, that I have a dog that you would think is a legend, but he don't make my cut because – he has a tendency to kind of not really want to take a cold track and I can't really trust him. But if I cut him loose on a leg shot or a gut shot, that's still alive. The dude will catch him. Yeah. He'll put the teeth on the butt and hold him there until I get there. Right. But, uh, and a lot of people say, well, you know, you're just running deer down there cause you survive. Well, that, that's, a, that's kind of a, a, one of them deals that I always ask people all the time. I'll say, you know, how many three legged deer have you really seen in the woods? in your life and i happen to run down and dispatch probably 15 or 20 a year that okay. are shot one day. 
And if I'm running down that many, how many deer are shot in a leg out there throughout a season? Yeah, sure. You see? So, I mean, just between me and Donnie, that's 40 or 50 deer shot in the leg. Yeah. So, how many are out there, and then how many do you really see? Does a three-legged deer survive? Yeah, once in a while. For the most part, they're going to be coyote bait. Mm-hmm. So, if my dogs can run them down and bay them up and put a catch on them, they're, that's probably a deer that's that's not going to make it. That That's going to be coyote bait somewhere down the road. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, wanted to talk to you too about, um, training and, and specifically someone who, um, you know, maybe there's someone who's, who just thinks it's interesting. They, they would like to start tracking, um, for their themselves, their buddies, stuff like that. Um, are there certain breeds that you obviously use a a lacy, Katie's a lacy. Um, you talked about some cur breeds. Um, are there certain dogs that are, that are better bred, um, to, to do this blood trailing, versus others what do you kind of look for in a good trailing dog how can someone kind of get started and, and find a dog that's going to do this for them man that, that's kind of a loaded question because you know you get people out there they'll say any dog can do it well it's a dog's natural instinct to track but there's a lot of breeds of dogs out there that have been bred down to the point where they're just basically pets mm-hmm. that instinct is bred out of uh, they, it's, it's just not, yeah, they'll, they, they may sniff around a little bit on something that's really super fresh, you know, oh, hey, my dog, I got this dog, uh, uh say a, I don't know, cocker doodle or whatever you call it things now. <laughs> you know, he, he went right straight to this deer and then you find out that it was shot 20 minutes ago and only went 30 yards, but it took him five minutes to find it. And you're like, well, it took your dog five minutes, but now you're ready to go out and track for other people. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I mean no. Yeah. Just no, just don't stop. Okay. <laughs> what you're looking for is a dog that is what I call game bred. Uh, the reason I like a lot of the cur type breeds, I, I, I call these dogs that are more primitively bred, which means they are still basically closer to their roots of the, say the wild dogs mm-hmm. that all domestic dogs came from. They still have a lot more prey drive. They still have a lot more food drive. Uh, things like that than say a dog that's been bred to be you know uh started in the 1600s to be king whatever's lap dog that that just that's not that's probably not going to be a good choice right uh and even at that you know you you take a litter of lacy dogs that there's 10 pups in the litter there may be seven of them that that make it and two of them are superstars, and another five are just mediocre, and then the other two are just somebody's pet. Yeah. So there's there's no you're not going to get a 100. I mean, I've been fortunate. Katie's had two winners, and just about every dog she's ever had would jam up. But point is, is that it's a crapshoot. Even yeah. if you're going to dogs that are bred for it, it's still a crapshoot as whether the dog's going to make it or not. And the best way to make somebody mad at you is just straight up telling your dog ain't going to make it. Well, this, this is my dog. This is my dog. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I tell people all the time, my main thing is, let me ask you a question. Do you want to track with this dog or do you want to track with a dog? Mm-hmm. Because this dog might not make it. Right. So are you willing to make it a pet, sell it to somebody else, send it on down the road and get another one? 
or are you fixated on this dog's going to make it or not? Because you may not be tracking in a year or two because that dog may not have what it takes. Yeah. You kind of set a ceiling a little bit. If you have a dog that's not super good or doesn't have that prey drive, like you're talking about, there's only a certain level it can, it can track to. So you almost start yourself at a disadvantage with that ceiling that you just can't break through. Exactly. And that's just like the dude, the dude would make an awesome camp dog. You put him on anything under four hours old, he's probably going to do a good job. With yeah. If it's leg shot, he's fixing to roll it up. You better be ready to go, you know. But is he the dog I want to throw out on when it's 24 hours old? No, because I had him on track with Kay, and he actually paid no attention to it. Yeah. So fresher tracks, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, fatal track, like like a gut shot. He'll stay on a 20-hour-old gut shot with Katie. If it's a leg shot, I don't know if it's just because he can smell the marrow in the blood mm-hmm. or what it is, but he'll stick with a leg shot. But but he's just not to her level. Uh, and that's what has spoiled me. I mean, honestly, I got one of the dog, best dogs in the southern part of the United States. And it's kind of hard to accept anything less than that. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, when, when you get to, and people say, well, who's got the best dog? Well, I got a friend of mine in Mississippi, they recover. No, they don't just track. They recover 150 to 160 deer a year. Wow. But they've got three people running that dog. Okay. Okay. And they've got, they've run him constantly. I'm 60 years old. I can't do that. Yeah. About a hundred years is about all I can get. I can't, I can't track 320 times a year, which is about what you're going to have to track to recover 150 deer. Okay. Uh, recovery rate, a good recovery rate for an off lead dog is about 55 to 60%. Okay. 50 to 60. Does that differ if you're talking about, um, um, and you can, sorry, I cut you off there. You can talk about on lead, but I want to know if that differs between gun hunting and bow hunting. It has has nothing to do with it. Okay. Uh, My recovery rate, um, it it, it goes from year to year. I've had years to where my recovery rate was better on, uh, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. I've had I've had recovery years where uh, it was better gun season than it was bow season, and then I've had years where I recovered more archery deer than I did. Yeah, I just it's kind of weird. Okay, gotcha. It, it works out to where it's about the same uh, as far as percentages. Yeah. Uh, but an on lead dog, if you can get thirty to forty percent out of an on lead dog, that's excellent. And and the main reason being is that. Uh, uh, is that some of these deer that are still alive, you're just not going to get to them. Okay. If it's an on-lead dog, they hear you coming, they get up and leave. Yeah, you bump An on-lead dog obviously can't run out there and bait one up a half a mile away and wait for you to get there and put it down. See what I mean? Yeah. So so that's that's just that's just that's just kind of how it is. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Do you go that's why that's why there's a difference in it. Are you always, it sounds like you always off, off lead. Um, are there times oh, where, um, say an example where you're maybe hunting a smaller property and you don't have permission and you don't want your, you don't want your dog to run too far off and, and get, you know, on the next property or two properties over there's, you know, is there a time, um, for you to go on lead? Well, the thing about my dogs is that I use a Garmin system and it has a tone. 
feature with it. If my dogs start getting closer properly, I just buzz the button. I hit a button and it beeps and they come back. Okay. So I don't ever cross on anybody else's property. Yeah. But if I do get somebody that is on a smaller property, say they've got 40 acres and they've got a, a deer that, you know, and everybody around him's only got, I'll call people. That's the thing about our network. And that's what I encourage our guys to do. I said, if you know that it's a small property, call one of your buddies that's got an on-lead dog. Yeah. Let them track you. Yeah. You know, because on-lead dogs generally track a lot slower. And, you know, you have time to make a call, you know, get somebody's permission, this, that, and the other. Uh, whereas off-lead, I, I try to stay on larger leases, national forest, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't have to mess with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes but sense. That, that's, and that's what I encourage all my guys on my network. I say, if you've got a dog that struggles with body ball track, call somebody else and get them to come cover it for you. Yeah. Or to help you out. Right. See what I mean? We we do that all the time. There's a lot of guys come, hey, man, you know, my dog's having a little trouble. Can you come check it out with Katie? We go check it out. And many times their dog has done the job. You know, Katie can't do any better. Hey, you know, this is it. Yeah. Sometimes Katie does a better job. Yeah. Sometimes Katie didn't do as good a job. So, you know, it's, it's one of the kind of deals that we have a network. Use it. Yeah. Use the network. Absolutely. You know, so yeah, that that's, makes sense. that's why, that's why it's set up that way. Yeah. You mentioned there, um, some of the equipment that you use, you use a Garmin, um, and when we were kind of talking about training, talking about breeds, someone wanting to get into it. What kind of equipment does what kind of equipment does someone need um, if they want to start teaching their pup? Let's say they've got a dog that does have that prey drive. They kind of, you know, they think that this might be a dog that's that's got that, you know, it's got the it factor. What kind of equipment do they need? Um, what do you use to train a pup? What I train a pup with, I, I just use a, I, I use a broom handle with uh, like them uh, pipe clamps on it. You want a hoof off of a deer that's been shot that went in two or three hundred yards at least to die. Okay. That's that. I've noticed with Katie tracking, uh, a deer doesn't start putting the interdigital down until fifty to seventy-five yards. I say that because I've watched her. I've I've, I've been to where I've, I've been to where like there were multiple deer in the area, gunshot. Mm-hmm. So she'll hit a track, she'll roll down, she'll go sixty, seventy-five yards and come back. That ain't it. She'll go 65, 70 yards down another track, come back. When she breaks 100 yards, you better pack your crap and go walking because that's it. That's it. Okay. And that's why I say that. So you take that interdigital gland. What I like to do is take a square hide, about a foot square, and put it down over the pole. Now you've got the leg attached to the pole, so you cut a hole just big enough that it'll slide down the pole and won't slide down over the hoof. Okay. Now this hoof is putting the interdigital of a wounded deer on the ground. So you're stamping it on the ground. Yeah, you you stamp it on the ground as you go along. Okay. I usually just for a little bit of blood on the hide, and I'll stamp it along. And every once in a while, I'll just spritz a little blood out. Okay. When when you start a pup, you don't want them to start on more than about a 10, 15 yard track. How come? Just eight nine weeks old, they ain't got enough attention span to go any farther than that. Yeah. Uh, I usually like to put my dogs on their first track when they're eight, nine, ten weeks old. And I just want to see if they're going to keep their nose on the ground. If they'll go to it, leave a little piece of liver or something at the end. A liver drag, a piece of liver is good to use for a pup. Mm. Right up, right, very, very first thing, because it leaves a strong scent and you drag it along the ground, it leaves a scent. Now, 
the leg thing is what you start doing when you get a little bit more advanced with your dog. You don't want it to be too easy, but you don't want it to be too hard neither. Okay. You want it to be a little bit more realistic. But a lot of times, if I could like both the dogs I got out there right now in my pen, I saw both them track when they were 10, 12 weeks old on a little old 50 yard liver drag. So I was like, okay, that's fine. And all I did was I, I've got the advantage that I could take them with Katie. So I took them with Katie and, uh, you know, they both learned how to go along on the track. So they're a year old now, but they've never really been trained solo tracking. Mm. So I, so I will train them solo tracking this year. Okay. This spring, I'll have them ready to go solo this fall. Now they'll be a year and a half old. There's too many people out there that are trying to make six month old wonder pups. Look, let your dog grow up. That's like asking, it's like I said earlier, that's like your 12 year old kid completes his first pass. And now all of a sudden you think he's ready to play division one college football. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's not, no, I got to go get me a charger from my home. Okay. Sounds good. So I'm, I'm going to be kind of goosey here for me. You're good. But anyway, you, you see what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so way, way, way too many people want to step out there and, and get that dog going too quick. And it's just, it's not necessary. There are so many things to teach your dog, like be social around people. Uh, you don't want your dog to be trying to bite everybody that you're tracking for. Right. So you need the socialization aspect. You need them to be able to ride in a truck. You need them to be able to, uh, you know, you, you'd be amazed at how many dogs are afraid of water. You know, make sure that your dog can, uh, you know, get in deep water and mess around. I mean, to be honest with you, Katie has probably drowned, uh, I don't know, probably 20 or 25 deer. Oh, wow. So she, she, you know, she's not afraid of deep water. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's a lot of things out there. And, and let your dog learn how to be a dog around other dogs. Uh, there's a lot to learn and you don't have to, the tracking, the tracking part of it is, 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 it's very important, but it's just part of it. And it's not necessarily the biggest part. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You got to kind of let them grow up, be a dog for a little bit. And plus, you know, when you let them dogs mature a little bit, then they're a little bit more likely to stay on task instead of you having to jack around with them. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine you know, at such a young age, you can um, you could almost develop some poor habits within the dog. And you can, you can because a lot of people have a tendency to, uh, they want that little old pup to do so good. I have people send me videos of their dogs all the time. Yeah. And, and I'll see their dog. Now, see, the thing is on a mock trail, you know where the trail is. Right. So when your dog starts to mess, I see them pulling the dog that way. Mm. You know, they're walking down the track and their dog is going to the right. Well, you should follow your dog always. Okay. Yeah. And if, and if, the, if the pups get off the track, then you, you get them back to it. But then they pull them back over the track. Oh, look how good my dog. I know, dude, you pulled him back over yeah. there to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I do is I use a 30 foot lead on a pup. And when they start going off the track, I stop immediately mm -hmm. and, I, and i and i pinch the lead down right there to where they can't go very far off track before they've got to circle back around and come over and then when they cross back over the track i'll give them slack and say fine 
Yeah. Too many people talk to their dog way too much. I've seen people with their pups, and I, I mean, they're just constantly find it, find it, find it, find it. Find it. I said, dude, shut up and let the dog find it itself. Yeah. You're not doing him any favors. You, you know, because in the real world, if you're out tracking, uh, and your dogs, you don't know where the track is. So your dog may take off on a fresh cone track, and here you are behind it saying, find it, find it, find it. Well, what are you telling your dog? You're telling your dog to find that cone now. See? Yeah. So I know even, even a puppy, I'll kill them one or two times to find it. And as long as they stay on track, I do not say a word to them. They work it out themselves. Yeah. Yeah, now, makes- am I the best trainer in the world? Probably not. Yeah, I don't care. My dogs do what I want them to do. So yeah, I mean, if yeah. they're doing what you need them to do, that's that's all you got to know is just how to train them to do what you're looking for them to do. Um, we talked to a little bit about um, starting a puppy too soon. You can burn out a puppy. You can actually scare the pup if you get it on a on a trail where that deer's still alive and it turns around on them. Um, that's, is that, that's one of the things you tell people not to, not to start too soon. Right. You know, that, that's something that, that, that's, that's kind of, and to me, it's pretty important. You know, these pups are, they're, they're kids. I mean, let's just take once again, let's take the 12 year old football player, for example, just, just kind of just to stay with that aspect. Yeah. Uh, if you put them, if you put a 12 year old kid out there with a bunch of high school football players, and they just absolutely cream him every play. Yeah. He's going to quit playing. He's going to hate it. You take a pup that's four or five months old out there and get him on a buck, and that buck gets him down and wears him out and tries to hook him to death, you probably got a pup that's ruined. Now, you take that kid when he's 18 years old. He'll take a lick from that linebacker. He'll get up and run his mouth telling him he hits like a woman. Yeah, right. You know, and, and the dog is kind of the same way. You know, he gets back up off the ground. Well, hey, I, I fixed that. I didn't like that, so I'm going to roll back in there. So, you know, you got to be careful about getting your dog on stuff too quick. Uh, you know, I used to rodeo a lot, and, and I've seen what they call arena-soured horses, to where all you ever done was go out there and calf rope off of it. You never trail rode it. You never did anything else. And all of a sudden, this promising roping horse at four years old is just, you can't even get him to back into the box at six years old because you're just sick to death of doing it because that's all he ever gets to do. Yeah. That's it. That's all he ever gets to do is that high pressure. I've got to catch, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, right. So so some of the best horses out there are horses that they train to do that, but they also go out and ride them. And they, they mess around with them. They give them a break and stuff like that. So you got to be careful about punching too much in on a pup. Yeah. Now I'm not saying don't train your puppies, but you know, the most I've ever ran pups on a track was probably two times a week. I've seen people try to run, you know, 12, 13, 14 week old pups two or three times a day. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Wow. Yeah. You know, they try to run, well, I'm running two tracks a day every day. I'm like, no dude, twice a week's enough. Yeah. That's way more than enough. Let the dog be a puppy. Uh, for the first year of my dog's life, I don't care if he runs deer. I don't care if he traces squirrels. I don't care if he traces cones. I can stop that later. That's developing the game drive in the dog. Right. I've had people with three-month-old puppies try to suppress it. Oh, I don't want my pup barking at them squirrels 
You know, I don't want my pup barking at that bird. You know, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You, you're talking about a baby here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let it, let it, let it, you know, and then you're going to wonder why your dog won't be alive there later on. It's because you suppressed his game drive. You have suppressed his drive to bait because you're so convinced that all he should ever mess with is a wounded deer that, that you've never let him have any fun. I mean, listen, I can take Katie and put her on a track and she will not deviate off that wounded track. But if I take her out by herself and we get in hot pig size, she's fixing she's fixing to track her up and bay her some hogs. Yeah. <laughs> and there's been a bunch of times that we've came out of the woods after tracking deer that she's treated squirrels on the way back to the truck. But she will not do it while she's on the track because I've I've taught her this is your task. Yeah. And and I I trained her with a vest on her, which meant vest means you track wounded game you don't do nothing else mm, okay so she knows it's game I, time once she's got right, that vest when, on. when i took the vest off of her now she knows hey i can treat a squirrel for one too i can go out and be a pig if i want to yeah i mean we've 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 tracked right past pigs squealing 50 yards from us and she never got off the deer track but on the way back after i took her vest off of her she rolled out and bait him up half mile out in the cut. yeah wow that's so, crazy you know, and now I don't even put her vest on her anymore because she knows what her job is. I mean, I don't even have to tell her anymore. Yeah. Uh, the vest is mostly for briar protection and, and to, to keep people from shooting her uh, because it's blaze orange. Yeah. And, and also, it's just, it's just a cue to a younger dog, this is your task. Yeah. Vest means this. Right. We're working. No vest means you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Well, well clearly, you know um, – you know, you've been doing this for a while and you've got a ton of experience and, and obviously the group that you kind of created on Facebook has, has developed into this really amazing network. And, um, I think it's really cool, but one of the things I just kind of wanted to, to end with here was, um, obviously you're, you're really passionate about this and doing this for people. Um, you mentioned a little bit about why you do it, but just tell me a little bit about why you think you're so passionate about it and, and what keeps you coming back to doing this for people and kind of providing that service. Well, it's you know, if you if you've deer hunted long enough, if you've you've shot deer and didn't find them. And that's a feeling that, that you just don't it just sucks. It's horrible. Yeah. And and if I can if I can go out and help somebody not have that feeling, you know, then man, I, I'm I'm all about that. Yeah. Uh yeah, I've told you before, I said, you know, don't invite me to your deer list or I'll hurt your feelings because I hunted big deer for a long time and I can kill them. And, but I just, I just, without sounding like I'm bragging, it kind of came easy to me to yeah. be able to figure those deer out. So it was not that big a deal to me anymore. Okay. And I was looking for another challenge. And this, this challenge here is it. And plus it also gives me the opportunity uh, as a Christian person, to be able to speak to people about salvation, about Jesus Christ, what's your what's your relationship with God? Are you going to heaven? Are you not? Yeah. You know, and and to be honest with you, you'd be surprised at what kind of conversations you can have with a guy at two o'clock in the morning, way back out in the boonies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had people talk to me about things in their life that uh, I, I'll promise you they ain't never told their best friend. Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, you know, I was I was leaving a track one time. Me and a guy had been talking, and uh, I knew we weren't going to find the deer as soon as I seen the first blood sign. I told him, I said, here's what's going to happen, and it happened. 
And we were going back, and I was sitting in my truck, and all of a sudden this guy, and we talked about the Lord, and, and so I got shared some verses with him and some things about, the, you know, my salvation, the way I came to know the Lord. And the, he told me he knew the Lord, but he had kind of strayed away from him. And, you know, I was in my truck, and all of a sudden this guy knocks on the window, and I'm like, what's going on? Are you going to rob me or what, you know? Yeah, right. Man, this guy's got tears just rolling down his face. Wow. And he says, man, you don't know how much I needed to hear what you said to me. I said, well, it's obvious to me that since we didn't find the deer, I was sitting here for another purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's just things like that is what really keeps me going. It's, it's a, it's an avenue that, that I have looked for my whole, there's always a way to speak about the Lord, but God gave me this opportunity to really be able to go out and touch a lot, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every year. People that I speak to about something, you know, I get asked to come speak at places, churches and things like that. And it's just, it's just an opportunity for me to be able to share that. So, yeah. you know, it's just take it or leave it. Uh, I'm not going to beat you over the head with the Bible, but I'm going to tell you how it is. Yeah. And you, you know, you can either, if I can just get you to thinking about it, then that, that's my job. Yeah, that, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's but that, that's that's a huge that's a huge part of it. And once again, it's like it's about uh, a kid's first deer, somebody's best deer, possibly some old dude's last deer. Yeah. Uh, you know, being able to give them some closure, at least to be able to either to either recover the deer or uh, be able to show them enough sign and give them enough of the explanation for the experience that I've had as to why I think this deer is probably going to be all right. Yeah. And, and I get a huge amount of people that call me every year. Hey, we've got pictures of this deer. Hey, so-and-so killed this deer later. So, you know, I'm going to say probably 85% of the time, if I tell them a deer's going to live, it, it, it probably does. Yeah, yeah. Now, once in a while I get that call, hey, we found that deer dead, but where was it dead? Half a mile away? I don't know. Did it take it two days to die? Was it dead that day? Did we miss it? Sometimes we miss them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes a dog has a bad day. Sometimes it's just something the dog can't do. It's just like I say, once again, that quarterback, man, sometimes you just can't make that 80 yard pass. Yeah. You could have made it at 60, but you can't make it at 80. So yeah. you do what you can and you roll on. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really cool. I, as I was hearing you talk, I think about, you know, the times that I've shot a, a buck or um, even just, you know, a doe, it's it's honestly, you're there, especially if you recover that deer, um, you're there for the highlight of someone's season a lot of times. And, oh, exactly. exactly. And they yeah, think it's, about it's their awesome. hunting season and their, their year, and they're like, oh, that was the year I shot that buck. And, like, you're there at this this moment where this is a highlight for someone that they may remember for the rest of their life. Right. Yeah, you're exactly. And, you know, there's some – there's some pretty intense moments. I mean, I, I had a guy and his wife follow me uh, last year, not this past season, but the season before. And uh, Katie bade this deer up. I mean, he was like 80 yards away. And I'm like, ah, wide open woods. He's facing me. He's backed up into a treetop. So I'm sitting there thinking, I can't get no closer. I'm going to blow him out. Yeah. So I take a shot at him and, and, and to try to put him down. Well, this dude starts running straight at me. I'm talking about like only straight. Here he comes. Well, I can't shoot him because Katie is right on his butt. Yeah. So if I miss him, I'm on, I, I could hit my dog. 
So I waited till this deer got within probably six or seven feet of it. And I stepped to the left and I shot him close enough that I burnt hair on him and put him down right there. Wow. And those people were standing, <laughs> they were standing right behind me. <laughs> and when I turned around and looked at their eyes as big as saucers, buddy. They were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're a mad <laughs> they was man. Like, they was like, does that happen all the time? I'm like, well, no, but it has happened more than once. I mean, I actually had a buddy of mine that got put down. He, uh, he was tracking in Mississippi about three or four years ago. And, uh, while they were tracking this deer, he had actually backtracked and laid up along the track. And the dogs got past him. But when they walked by, they come out of them bushes and hit him under the armpit and had him on the ground hooking him. Wow. And his dad happened to be with him and, and happened to jump on the deer and had to kill him with a knife because it was so close he couldn't shoot him. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, had his dad not been there, I mean, Kyle might not eat. That deer might have could have very well have hooked him to death. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, but I tell people all the time, I said, listen here, guys. And, and that's why I tell people to stay behind me, stay close. I said, because this is a wild animal. He's mad. He's hurt. And he don't want us catching him. So you stay behind me and do exactly what I say when I say do it. Yeah. Because I tell people, I said, my goal is that if anybody gets hurt, it's going to be either me or my dogs and hopefully not you. Yeah. Because it's, it's not the safest thing in the world to do for you or your, or your dogs. I've had my dog beat up a bunch of times. I've seen her hooked and put under the water and nearly drowned, you know, when I couldn't do nothing about it. It's just it's how it is. Yeah. Man. And that's another thing I think I tell people. I said, are you willing to take your family pet out and get it killed? Because it could very well happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a wild animal. You don't know what it's going to do. That's right. That's crazy, man. Well, that's cool. That's a that's an awesome story to end it on. Um, I, you know, very impressed with just your your level of knowledge and, and expertise, and um, just the way that you've been able to kind of start this network and how it's taken off, and how everyone, you know, it's obviously it's a huge huge help to hunters who, like you said, they want to find their deer. Maybe it's their last year and stuff like that. So, really cool. Applaud applaud you and the group um, for for what you guys do. Um, what's the best way, you know, obviously there's the Facebook page. Is that the best way for people to reach out and, and get help on, on a deer that they've lost or how can people kind of get in touch? Yeah, right now, uh, you know, Arkansas blood trailer network on Facebook, we've kind of been talking about trying to, uh, uh, get a, uh, a, a website going Yeah. in case, you know, how it is Facebook's getting weird. Uh, I've seen them, I've seen them, uh, shut down pages of, uh, uh, Beagle Rabbit Hunters that had fifteen sixty thousand members on it. Really, wow! Uh, so, so we're we're working on trying to get our web page, and one of these days we'll eventually have this whole thing uh, switched over to a web page, most likely. Yeah. Or at least with a link to it. So in case they decide they want to shut us down for whatever reason, we'll do that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's our goal right now to get a web page going. But right now, best thing, Arkansas Blood Trailer Network. Uh, Honestly, before the season, go to your county, take the names of the people down that are in your county, right. put them in your telephone, put the names of the people in your surrounding counties, put them in your telephone. I mean, put my name in your telephone book because, you know, if not, I can try to find somebody for you. Yeah, right. People call me, I'll tell them, hey, I'm in such and such county. Who can I talk to? I'm like, well, let me send you, and I'll usually take a picture of their numbers and send it to them. So. Yeah. Very you cool. know, we, we try to do our absolute best to get you in contact with somebody. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, cool. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and thanks for your time. 
Um, really appreciate it hearing, hearing your stories and, and hearing your expertise. Um, we may have to have you back on in the future to, cause I know there's a lot we left on the table. There's so much to, to go into depth. Uh, yeah. I could talk about this for hours. I figured dude. you could, man. So we may have to have you back on in the future, but, um, just again, thank you so much for coming on and, um, and hopefully we can, you know, get together again and maybe I can meet you sometime in person. Hey, just give me a holler. I'll meet you halfway or something. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V, co-hosted by Adam Treese and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors.